I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're at Sundance Film Festival, sort of. It's virtual again this year, so we are talking to all the guests via Zoom. Today, I have Rachel DeCruz. She is the co-director and co-producer of The Panola Project. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm really happy to be here and excited for our conversation. This is a short film. This is one of the shorts at Sundance Film Festival, which people can log into and if they've bought tickets for it. When does your movie, when does that premiere? So the film actually premiered um, last summer. We released it virtually uh, via The New Yorker. But um, for Sundance's purposes, it will be available starting on the start date of the festival, so January 20th, and you'll be able to view it the entire window of the festival. And then after that, since you've already released it, but The New Yorker, is it? do you have plans for a wider release? You know, we've been working with, we've been kind of going to film festivals across the country. We'll continue to do that. Um, the New Yorker did something with us last August to help kind of push the film. But as you know, right now, we're kind of in the midst of yet another COVID search. So the topic of COVID is just as relevant as ever. So we're going to continue doing everything we can to help get Dorothy's story out into the world and to provide a model of what a pathway forward for our country might look like. And that's what the Panola Project is about, is Dorothy's journey in her hometown to get citizens vaccinated. So first of all, tell me what town this is. And it when I was watching this, it is so rural that <laughs> I'm like, your nearest neighbor <laughs> looked like it was three miles away. So how does that all work? Yes. So the film takes place in Panola, Alabama, which is the community that Dorothy Oliver lives in. It is a small town um, sort of straddling the border of Alabama and Mississippi. And you're right, it is in it's very rural. Um, there's only kind of a few hundred people that live in Panola. And as is kind of showcased throughout the film, there's a real lack of um, infrastructure and services available to folks there. And she works out of it was marketed as sort of a grocery store, but it was in, it looked like a cargo container. Was that? <laughs> <laughs> she runs her convenience store, uh, which is just kind of called the general store out of a mobile home. So a yes. mobile home. Okay. Yeah. And there wasn't a huge, there was some canned goods, things like that, but I saw very little fresh produce. 
what are are people growing their own in that community because they are so rural or how how are they getting nutrition aside from canned foods at the convenience store which i understand is very important to that community yeah of course so you know i think one of the reasons that dorothy opened the store was just so that there was a place in town that folks could go to get kind of you know the the staples and the kind of quick things that you need in between grocery shops, right? But you're raising a really important issue, which is lack of access to kind of healthy foods in areas um, that are more rural based. And I think that, you know, the closest hospital in Panola um, is sort of, it's around like a 40, a little bit under 40 miles away. And so I'm actually not sure uh, the distance to the closest kind of full scale grocery store that would have, like you're mentioning, all of the produce and the things that you need. Um, but painting a picture here that there's really not much um, in Panola. And so people have to kind of go quite a distance to be able to get their basic needs met, which is one of the challenges. Yeah. In the film, you highlighted the difficulties for getting COVID-19 vaccination in there. The grocery store, just the little mobile home convenience store in Panola is just a microcosm of the troubles that the residents have And it looked to me, she was going around from person to person. I didn't think a lot of them even had transportation. So how are they even supposed to get food, let alone get a vaccine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're touching on kind of what's at the heart of the film, which is the systemic barriers that are faced by residents in Panola, Um, right? So when we think about government and how government is making investments in communities, rural communities tend to be left behind, right, or put on the back burner. Um, And as Dorothy really beautifully names in the film, it's also a race issue, right? Panola is a majority Black community. And there's just been a long history of government disinvestment in that area, making it really challenging for folks to kind of go about and live their daily lives. Um, A lot of the people that... um, you know, also employment opportunities, right? And thinking about being able to access a job, um, you do need a car to be able to get around. And there are a lot of folks locally that don't have access to a car. And so, you know, I think it's just really important as we are kind of thinking about what does it mean to get all of our communities to a place where they're thriving, where they're livable, to really start with the communities um, that are most impacted, right? And that have the least access to resources, figure out what they need and then build from there. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and go, hey, if it's so bad in Panola, if there isn't job opportunities, if you don't have access close by to good nutrition, why not just leave? You can go other places. You can get to bigger cities where you have access to all that. What's stopping them from doing that? I'm not a Panola resident, so I'm certainly not going to pretend to speak on behalf of folks that are there. But, you know, I do think that the ability to actually pick up and move is um, is often not an option for folks, right? You need resources to be able to move. You need a car to be able to move. You need to ha- be able to secure a job in a new location and to know that you're going to have housing in that new location as well, right? All of these things um, cost money. I will say, you know, that the reality of what we did see in Panola is the deep, deep love and care that exists within the residents there, right? It very much felt like a family. And you get to see that in the film. You get to witness that with Dorothy as she knocks on people's doors um, and has conversations with folks. There's a really tight-knit nature of living in a small town. And so that 
felt really beautiful to witness. Um, I'd imagine it feels really beautiful to live there too and to know that your neighbors are kind of looking out for you and caring for you in this way that might be harder to find in a bigger city. Yeah. Alabama and Mississippi are two of the states that have the lowest vaccination rates of any states in the in the U.S. But it Panola, if I if I read the information correctly, doesn't it say ninety nine percent of them are now vaccinated. Yeah, through Dorothy and Ms. Jackson's efforts, they've gotten ninety nine percent of their community vaccinated. And you're right, Alabama is a state um, that has one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. So the fact that they were able to do that is truly remarkable. A, a lot of the communities that are of color also have a distrust of government. And I mean, there's a long history behind that when you talk about, uh, was it the Tuskegee testing? There's just this history why people of color in particular are very distrustful. So how was it that Dorothy was able to convince her neighbors to go ahead and get this vaccine? Yeah, you're right. There is a long history of distrust in the government and for good reason, as you named, right? So, um, I mean, I think Dorothy's approach, which is an approach that I do believe is replicable across the country, it, people trusted and respected Dorothy, right? She had deep, deep already existing relationships with the folks in her community. So it wasn't like she was an outsider coming in, trying to tell people how to think or what to do. She very much leveraged the relationships that she already has, the trust that she already has to really get people uh, to understand the implications of not getting vaccinated. Um, And we see that work in real time through her conversation with LaDenzel, right? He was sort of on the fence about whether or not he wanted to make a commitment to get the shot. And she answered his question. She heard his concern. She was really patient and kind of just didn't approach it from this stance of judgment or like, you need to do this or you should do this. It was very much meeting people where they were at, um, working through their concerns and then providing them with a pathway for how they might be able to take action. I think that's wonderful that you can have a community leader like that. I mean, she, again, opened up the convenience store to help her neighbors and was just knocking on doors, calling people, everything uh, to try to get them vaccinated. But I think about... You can have the flip side of that in these rural communities where you do have the leader is someone who is distrustful of the government of vaccine and going around. And instead of saying, hey, this is something we need to do, protect your neighbors and friends, they're saying, don't get the vaccine. It's bad. We're not bringing any clinics here or nurses here to help vaccinate people. How would you respond or talk to people about that? It's a good question. You know, I think that what we saw work with Dorothy and Impanola is kind of personal stories, right? So Dorothy shares a story of her experience with COVID and her family and the impact that that had on her. Um, And through that, I feel like it's through those stories um, that we're able to actually give people a window into potentially seeing things in a different light and in a different way. Um, And I think that what we've I just feel like the way that misinformation can kind of spread, it's we're not going to combat misinformation through Facebook or through kind of social media. It really has to be through relationships and through one-on-one conversations. And I think we all have a role to play with our families, with the people in our lives um, to make sure that we're having those conversations and to make sure that we're finding ways to keep our communities safe. What else can you tell us about the Panola project, where you are hoping to take it, and any other projects you may have in coming up? 
So we're thrilled to be at Sundance. Um, this is the first film I've ever made. So I'm still kind of pinching myself that uh, we had this opportunity. We're really excited. We're also really sad that we're not able to be in Park City with y'all, but hopefully we'll have another opportunity to do that in the future. But so from here, we're just continuing to kind of apply for festivals. We're in the process of thinking through what an impact campaign for the film might look like so that we can use the film as an educational tool to really move people towards action. And so that we can also use it as an opportunity to open a conversation about the need for investment in rural communities and in particular uh, rural communities of color. So that's kind of the trajectory with the Panola project. We're going to keep pushing Dorothy out in as many ways as we can um, between now and kind of until this con this content is irrelevant, which hopefully, you know, is sooner rather than later yeah. that we're through COVID. Um, and then my, my partner, the kind of co-director and producer of this film with me, Jeremy Levine, him and I are also working on another film. Um, this will be a feature length film. It's called Nine, and it follows uh, Gerald Hankerson, who's a 52 year old black community leader as he fights to get his former cellmate out of prison and to pass legislation to reinstate parole in Washington state. And so it's really a, a film about friendship that's kind of forged across generations and decades and the power that it gives both of them to push back against an oppressive criminal justice system. So we're still in the early development stages of that, but really excited about the potential of that project and that story and um, hope to be kind of doing more along those lines soon. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing Nine at some point, especially in the Sundance Festival. Now that you're in You've got an in. <laughs> You've got your first film. And that is, again, called The Panola Project. Rachel Cruz, you are the co-director and co-producer of it. And I watched it and it's very lovely. I really enjoyed seeing the interactions between people. But it did give me food for thought on where these people are on our socioeconomic ladder in the U.S. Well, thank you, Heather. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk with you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.